Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my good friend. She is more amazing than Leia and Ahsoka just in the same room together. It's Lindsay. Oh, do you think that ever happened? God, you know, there's part of me that wants it to happen, and there's part of me that doesn't, you know? Why Why the doesn't part? Because I'm all for it. Because the whole Leia and Vader thing is just kind of weird because, like, he's her dad, but he also tortured her, and, like, Ahsoka's going to have a very different point of view of him, and mm-hmm. I don't want them to not get along. I feel like Ahsoka would be cool about it, though. Like, I don't think Ahsoka... Actually, no, because I guess Ahsoka would never know that... You know, she obviously knows Anakin is Darth Vader, but she would never know that Luke and Leia are his kids. Exactly. Ooh. So, yeah. That would be... That's kind of why... That's, like, a major reason why I don't... Well, it's not a ma- the exact same thing, but I don't want Ahsoka and Luke ever meeting because I don't think that Luke would fail as a Jedi if he had Ahsoka as a master. I Just saying. Fair point. I mean... That much I'll give you. Okay, so um, Ahsoka is perfect. No, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like it, it, you think it could go one way, and it's going to, you know, you, you think you're in control of the situation, and it just goes completely different than what you were expecting it to be. And that, As we learned in Last Jedi, sometimes you can't meet your heroes. Sometimes you can't have that perfect scenario play out the way you think it will. That's true. Although... Yeah. Speaking of my heroes, I just read uh, Ashley Eckstein's book. Oh, <gasps> how is it? It okay. So a, it's written for a much younger audience. So okay. So if you get it, which you can probably go to Hot Topic. That's where I got it. I got it for like seven bucks. Um, but it was so good, and I have decided she is perfect. So I guess no I argument for me. I can't meet her, or else I'll find out <laughs> things. Are- no, it was really good. It's very, she, uh, it, it's like a inspirational book, uh, you know, slash biography that links to Disney and her love for that and things like that. So it's not like a super in-depth, like, and then I went to the office on this day and I went to this audition, but it's, you know, a, a overview with the life lessons and it was, it was quite nice. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's been on my list because I did know it was for a younger audience. So it was one of those, when I have time, I'll get to it. But it's not like something like Thrawn Treason where it's, let me get to it as soon as possible the day it comes out and dig into it immediately. Yeah, so you mentioned we're talking like about Thrawn Treason. Like that set up for a segue, yeah, right? Yeah, I like that, right? I like that. Bump set spike, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, although I'm going to take it a different direction. Uh, <laughs> out of bounds. No. Yeah, Bumps that, catch it, and throw it away. <laughs> um, no, like, honestly, I finished it in two days, and not, like, the two days it took me to finish Thrawn, well, three days, where I was like, I just need to get this done so we can do the show. But it was actually, it was quite good. But I wanted to mention, I am reading another book right now by one of my favorite authors. Have you ever read John Green? Um, I have. I read um, the one they, they made into a movie, Faults in Our Stars. You mean my favorite book of all time? Really? I didn't know that. I literally read that entire book in a day. It's the only book I've ever read in a day. Oh, does he have a new book out, or so, are you reading one of his older ones? No, so I've read all his other ones, except for one anthology one that he did with other authors, but he had a new one out. It's called Turtles All the Way Down, and I've been waiting, and I'm like, ah, you know, because I'm, I'm not as into him as I was when I was reading all his books, but I really do like him, and I was like, I'll just wait for it to go in paperback. Well, I was at the store yesterday, and they had it for 10 bucks in hardback, so I was like, I needed to mix it up from Star Wars for a minute. But just in case the the galaxy thought I was going to forget about Star Wars, here's the, the line that I read last night that I knew this book is for me. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. She said, and then we can go back to my place and watch Star Wars Rebels and do homework. <gasps> Rebels? Yes. Not even just Star Wars. No. He went full Rebels. He went specifically for Rebels. That was John for me. Green. I have no doubt. John Green knows who I am, and he wrote that for me. Without a doubt. I mean, it's... Without a doubt. It's the only plausible explanation. Obviously. Who else would it be for? Well, it's funny because, like, the the main protagonist, her uh, best friend's name is Daisy, and she's, like, a hardcore Star Wars fan like us, and writes, wait for it, Chewbacca and Ray fan fiction. Oh! <gasps> <laughs> oh, I think I need this book. It's really good. Um, I'm says turtles all the way down. Yeah, I'm about uh, 150 pages into it, and it's funny because like just casually talking about Star Wars, you know, from here and there. And the main character, she's not a Star Wars fan, but you know, she's te- you know, it's a, it's a young adult novel, so it's first person point of view, and so she's telling you the whole story, and they're like arguing over whether Wookies should be able to have. Um, relations with humans and things like that it's quite entertaining huh well that's a debate huh i mean (laughs) if we're gonna get into it let people love who they want to love you know yeah if if lando can love a robot this is true right then we can love a big furry animal and let's just be honest like chewbacca would treat ray really well He's like, oh wait! It was specifically between Chewbacca and oh, Ray, yeah. not just general. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, see, I thought it was just general. No, it was, changed the game. It was very specifically Chewbacca and Ray fan fiction. Um, he also said um, Kylo Ren Stan. So it's a very Ooh, modern book. He yeah. knows. All right, can I can I uh, throw an idea out there for you? Go for it. What if one week? We don't tell Drew what we're actually going to be debating on the main flagship show, and we have him show up, and then we just debate this with him for like two hours. Oh, that sounds great. 
That I sounds can, fantastic. I can hear his groaning now. We're going to be like, dude, no, it's going to be a surprise. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. Just, <laughs> you don't even need to be prepared. You know this. Yeah. Don't worry about your 73 pages of notes you did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so speaking of 73 pages of notes, we got to get you into didn't, it. You didn't, did you? I, didn't, I did more notes than I normally do for a new book. Okay. I will say that. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. We'll find out. But ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk about Thrawn Treason. And I tease this to you, Lindsay. And I'm going to go ahead and do it now. We have to talk about just Thrawn in general. Because we have a problem. Wait, when you say, though, we need to talk about Thrawn, do you mean the three books or Thrawn as a character? Just Thrawn as a character, specifically Thrawn being in Thrawn? these three books. Yes. Okay. Out there Thrawn and around. Thrawn is literally the legitimate definition of a Mary Sue. Yes, he is. And I think that was really confirmed in Treason. Because up until now, I've always been like, maybe it's just a Chiss thing. And maybe he's not that uncommon for the Chiss. But this really drove home that he was absolutely a Mary Sue. I didn't think to put it in those terms. But with you throwing out that word, 100% he's a Mary Sue. And here's, here's the thing. A lot of people mess up what a Mary Sue actually is because, you know, the internet. Um and it just gets thrown around there for somebody who's really good at stuff. That's not the problem, okay? A Mary Sue is an author's or creator's self-insert that doesn't do anything wrong. And I read the back flap of Thrawn Treason. And this is obviously not a knock on the guy because, you know, Timothy Zahn, the, Timothy Zahn seems to be a great, great guy. But he has a master's in physics. And when mm-hmm. I was reading kind of the the definition, the, descriptions of what's going on in space and Thrawn's plans and everything like the you know the minutiae that he gets into I was like this is Timothy Zahn putting himself into the Star Wars galaxy and not doing anything wrong wow see I didn't I'm actually really happy you pointed that out because I didn't even know that was the real definition of a Mary Sue I've always taken the internet approach which is just you know they pick something up with absolutely no background, no training, and they're perfect at it. But with this in mind, yeah, this this probably is Timothy's on, and again, not a knock on the guy personally, um, but it probably is him self-inserting himself, not so much who he actually is even, but who he thinks he's capable of being and who he wants to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's just... It takes it a step too far in this one. It, re- it really does. It really does because, and I want I want to say this before we have like half of our audience tune out. We're going to get into the good stuff about this book because there is good stuff about this book. But I had to get this off my chest. It's it's just it it doesn't make for a compelling story and it finally clicked for me why Thrawn is the only part of Rebels. I'm kind of like eh. You know like I kind of wish that Governor Price had just been the bad guy and you didn't even have Thrawn there because in this effort to make Thrawn basically invincible you 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 take away the possibilities and one of the things that always bugged me there was 
He'd be like, oh, you know, I learned something new this time when he would get beaten like it was part of the plan. And in here, it's like he has these things down, these these crazy plans that pe- people don't do. And they make a point of being like, nobody else would do this. And he has it figured out down to the second because of some music. Yeah. No. So so with Rebels, with Rebels specifically, I wish they didn't put him in the way they did because he, in theory, should be a complex enough character that we don't need him as just the antagonist. Right. He really does need a little bit more time to develop because the reason people connected with him so much isn't because of this Sherlock Holmes or Hermione Granger-esque way about him where he picks up on all these little details that's cool and all. But I think the reason people really connected with him is because he is such an exemplary leader. And that's why he had this kind of cult following. And we don't get that in Rebels because he really is only the antagonist. And in these three books and in this book specifically, I got to be honest, I had a really tough time getting through this book because I was just bored. You know, we've we've seen all of this before. We have seen him get through these troubles before in the same exact way, like you said, down to the second, where in this book, I personally didn't feel any tension and I didn't feel any sense of urgency because he time and time again, he doesn't face any real challenges. And there's um, so there's this there's this one part where I think it's when they're flying Faro onto the Grisk ship to have a better bartering chip. And shots are being fired. We're about to have this battle ensue. And we should be nervous. And the characters should be nervous. And instead, they're not. Because Faro is saying, basically, you know, yeah, we could both die. And the major goes, nah, not with Grand Admiral Throng calling the shots from the bridge. He'll get us through this. So it's like even the even the characters don't feel nervous. Even the characters know, like, if Thrawn is handling this, of course we're not going to have any real trouble. And that's how I felt as the reader, that we weren't getting into any real trouble because he was, he's too powerful almost. He's too confident and too compensate he's a, he's a god almost you know and mm-hmm. people look at him that way and i think the i think the fandom for the most part especially the people who were really into the eu and the majority of which i feel like are huge thrawn fans um they have that that personal connection to the character and the history of the character and i mean there's no understating what heir to the empire meant to the fandom and to star wars and uh what this character at that time meant and i thought it was really good but it's one thing when you're putting him up against luke Han and leia who you've seen accomplish these great feats you know and you're like if somebody can give him a run for money it's going to be luke skywalker versus these characters that you have no context of and on top of that you know, one of the things that I think created tension going into the story was the title Treason. And at no point, despite him, you know, going against procedure, did you feel like hey, he's he's going to he's going to go against the Empire? Because, you know, 
from where the story takes place that that it happens in between, you know, right before season four of Re- or the finale of Rebels, right? So you know what happens to him. So it doesn't even give you any tension of like, is the hammer of the Empire going to come down? Even the the last line when Palpatine is talking about when you're done with the Lothal Rebels, come to Coruscant, we have to talk. You're like, okay, it's a conversation that never happens. So what? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. You know, with the the conversation that everything is leading up to never carrying through with. But it's like the treason that the book is based off of isn't Thrawn's. At no point was Thrawn even based, you know, he, he never even had to put himself in a scenario where he had to choose between the Empire and the Ascendancy. He really didn't. He gets through this book totally unscathed. And nothing seems to be a problem with him. The only way they kind of, they, I say, the only way Zahn really mixed things up a little bit compared to every other story about Thrawn is that this time his enemy didn't have any artwork that he could study. And even so, it was kind of just like we shrugged it off. Mm-hmm. You know, that that should have been so crippling to him because that's his plan A, B, C, and D. That's his go-to. And now he doesn't have it, and still, nothing really came from that. It was just, oh, you know, we we have all these survivors. We'll look at what they've done. Well, yeah, and he was like, well, we'll look at the artwork of the people that they stole from or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, you brought up a good point. He comes in unscathed because I'm thinking about, like, the first two books, which I feel were better than this one. I... I still like the first Thrawn book. And I think one of the reasons I do is you do actually get a little bit of tension in there because you see him defeated at the Imperial Academy when he gets beaten up. And even though he turns that situation around for the best for the Empire and, you know, it's kind of like, all right, he got a win, you kind of get a hint of, okay, maybe this guy is flawed. And then even in alliances, he gets shot at one point. You know, and he's walking around that the 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 burn mark on him from the blaster, and you get this idea of maybe, but it's like here the ship doesn't get, even get rocked, or the only thing in this well, the the big twist we'll get to in a minute, but save for that, the only thing in here that surprised me with regards to Thrawn was the fact that he didn't show up at the last second to save the Ascendancy. I thought that when they were having that end battle, he was going to defeat Savit and then go hyperspace right to the Ascendancy, get there just in time to save the day because it was all in his plan. But if, like, the... I guess the best thing that happened for the book is that he doesn't come in at the last second, it's kind of like, well, isn't, isn't he supposed to be the character you're rooting for? Yeah, I I have to be totally honest. I think if he had swooped in at the 11th hour and just totally changed the game, that would have been my breaking point. That would have been like, I'm putting this book down. I don't care what happens in the last 20 pages. This is just getting ridiculous. Because I actually think that the Chiss Ascendancy, and we can definitely get into this a little bit more in a second, um... But I think that everything going on with the Chiss Ascendancy and the second sight and third sight was the best part of this book. 
I would have happily spent all 330 pages there. I didn't necessarily care about what was going on with the empire. And the reason that is, I realized, is that the, I don't want to say the entire book, I would say the first half of the book, though, hinges on the fact that we are following this antagonist in Ronin, who we don't like, He's annoying. He doesn't know the things we know. He can't possibly understand all of that. And he just misunderstands everything. He just seems to me like this incompetent, bumbling idiot. And every bit of tension is supposed to come from him misunderstanding Thrawn. And it is just such a miss for me because we don't like him and we can just brush everything off with this guy's an idiot and he doesn't get what's going on around him. See, I found Ronin really interesting. I mean, I know hmm. he is that that archetype, and you know, you're supposed to look at him in with the backsplash of, of Thrawn, you know, and the two being at odds. But even outside of that, because because honestly, other than Thrawn, I like everything about this book. Like, I really do. Really? Yeah, I like everything except for. Thrawn and the fact that Thrawn is able to get them out of all these tight spots. I like the idea of the the Grisk. I like the idea of, you know, the Ascendancy, all this stuff right there at the edge of the Empire. I I loved the political infighting in the Empire. That's something I want more of. But we'll, we'll get up to all of that. To go back to Ronin, I mean, the idea that he might not make it out alive... Um, and that that could be something that brought a big windfall on characters I really like, like Pharaoh and Eli Vanto, I found interesting because you get to Catalyst and you get to Rogue One and you don't have that character. And while you can say, yeah, well, there's a lot of characters we don't have, but he's the assistant director. He's like, not the assistant to the director. He is the assistant director, which means in that project, he's number two, which means he would be around. So the fact that we don't have him means you have to do something with him. Of course, I thought it was going to be that he was... The The only thing I didn't like there was the, the end part of having him go with the Ascendancy so that he could eventually betray them, possibly. For what reason, I'm not quite sure. But the character overall, I found really interesting because you... I've always just liked the the character that begrudgingly has to admit, like, all right, the heroes are actually doing things the right way. My only problem was the hero was too much Thrawn and not enough Eli. Wow. You and I take a totally opposite stance on Ronan then. And, and part of it might be that I didn't put two and two together to think, oh, this is a really high, powerful guy in the Stardust Project. Why didn't we see him in Catalyst? Why didn't we see him in Rogue One? That actually never occurred to me, and I wish it had, because then maybe I would have felt a little bit more tense. So the way I saw it was, like I said before, Ronin was just this unlikable character because he seemed to follow Krennic so blindly. And I felt like he didn't necessarily have any of these independent thoughts and it was just, it, it was like he, I, I understand he didn't like the emperor, but I could see him being that blind follower, 
just thinking, here's my guy. I'm going to do everything he says, take every single word out of his mouth as pure gospel. And then the fact that at the end he was sent off because he was trying to essentially avoid Vader. I thought that was really compelling because he does go into the Chiss ascendancy because in my head, this could be who starts planting these seeds and who starts creating these bylines of the story about the empire in the unknown regions. So when it comes time to the, for the contingency plan and it comes time for operation cinder, he is the reason why the remaining officers can go into the unknown regions and start the first order. You know, originally, yeah, we thought it was Eli Vanto doing that. Now maybe it's Ronan who is that blind follower of the empire. And now he's off with the chess and he can start getting everything ready and doing that early prep work. I could see that, especially because he doesn't like the Emperor. So mm-hmm. I feel like you could be like, oh, now the Emperor's gone. Now we can really shape the Empire to what it could be. What it could have kind been. Kind of like yeah. a, uh, a Ransom Calsterfo, but just more zeality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, a little more evil. Yeah, a lot more evil. Mm-hmm. No, it's funny because you, you talk about you not liking him because he's a blind follower and because he just made you angry. And that's the exact reason I did like him because he was one of the only things in the book that made me feel something Hmm. like I was angry at him, but like he was a character that made me feel something. And not many, I have to say Faro did that for me. Faro was the only other one that did that for me. Yeah. I would not see, I would not mind seeing her come back in something like uh, Alphabet Squadron or with the uh, infancy of the First Order like you were talking about. I feel like she is somebody who would go in wild space with them and then realize they're fanatics and not the Empire that she knew and then maybe go to the Ascendancy or just like chill out in wild space. Like I'm just not, this is not working out for me, so I'm just going to call it, but... Yeah, I would like that a lot. And it's fun getting these characters where we can start thinking, like, how could they come back? I think the sleeper that everyone keeps forgetting about in terms of how we can see some of these characters again is going to be the Cassian Andor show. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. She would be a great, like, main um, antagonist. Antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about Rebels. That's the one place Rebels dropped the ball, in my opinion, is the antagonist because they killed the Grand Inquisitor, who I loved in season one. And so you had to up the stakes and you bring in Vader. But then, okay, well, how do you up Vader? And then you go to Thrawn, of course, but you can't really do stuff with Thrawn. Yeah. Well, you know, Rebels is tough because we needed to think of it two different ways. We had to have an antagonist for... um, Kanan and Ezra specifically as Jedi, but then we also still had to have an antagonist for Hera and the rest of the rebels. So, you know, I I think that's where, and maybe this could be something we talk about with Drew, who we have turned into the world's biggest rebels fan. Um, But I don't want to get too far from the point of Thrawn, but it sounds like you and I pretty much agree on Ronan and who he is as a character and what he served. At this point, it's just a matter of opinion whether you liked it or whether it fell flat for me it fell flat um but it's it sounds like we're coming down on the same side of the argument yeah okay so let's go to eli eli vanto uh because i think 
the general consensus, I know at least between you and I and from I feel most people who I've listened to, is that coming out of the original Thrawn book, he was really the highlight and that him not being in alliances was a major um, fault of the book, if you will. So mm-hmm. how did you feel about Eli in this story? Um, I still liked him. I, I did, especially at the end. He felt a little meaningless. Part, part, uh, yeah, I guess meaningless is the word. But in a way, he recognized that. You know, when we're reintroduced to him, we learn that he, in his mind, he's been doing all these mundane things. And his position in the Chiss Ascendancy doesn't really matter. Whereas I thought... And I think a lot of other people thought when he left at the end of Thrawn, he was going to go and really start forming these strong alliances. And he was going to go spearhead all these great changes and projects within the Chiss Ascendancy. And he just, we come to find he didn't. You know, so he comes back and he seems eager to do things. And he is quick on his feet, which was fun to watch. But he lost that kind of cool element of the Eli Vanto in the original Thrawn where he really is that protege and he's picking up on all these things and we get to see how his mind works and we get to see how he starts to respect Thrawn. That is also what this book was really lacking for me is that we didn't have someone grow with Thrawn that way. Um, But what I liked about Eli in this though was he seemed so much more confident he knew what he was capable of, and he wanted to serve, whether it was the Empire itself or primarily the Chiss Ascendancy. He did want to serve. And at the end, I was brought fully on board with Eli Vanto again when he made, um, oh, God, what are they? The The Navigators. He made the Navigators that promise that he would kill them. Um, that was when I was like, okay, Eli, you're back on my list. You're going to do the right thing when it's hard. You know what has to be done. You understand it tactically. You also still have a heart about it, though. And that's a really tough balance to fill. So then to find out that the project he was working on all along was so cool. I I wish we had more about that. And I hope hope we do get more about the navigators and finding that pattern and how Eli Vanto can push that forward. Um, I don't know. By the end of it, I I liked what they did in the last 30 pages with Eli. Didn't really mean a whole lot in the first 300 pages though. Yeah. I, the, the scene with Vanya and and everything was the most compelling scene Mm -hmm. in the book. Um, I wish they had developed their relationship a little bit more. Me too. I think there was too much of a lean into this is a Thrawn book this time, whereas the other books, one of the benefits is they've spent time with other characters. Um, so you get a, a better feeling about what's going on around them. Uh, here, I felt like you're pretty much with Thrawn, Rowan, or Ronan, or Pharaoh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and... and one of the big things for me going in was I want more Eli Vanto. Like I really liked his character and we just didn't get a lot from him. So to see that one scene definitely saved it. The thing that bothered me, and this is, 
this is a problem in fiction overall, and I understand for plot reasons you ha- you kind of have to have it. But do you understand how many problems would be solved in just everything if people would just talk to each other? Yeah, and it's not like they no one was able to talk to it like they had all their communications up well it was an option well especially with like eli they're keeping this project all super secret which first Mm -hmm. of all thrawn sent a human to you guys because he trusted him with his life like he can keep a secret okay you know like there was zero reason for them to be keeping the whole navigator project a secret from him and it just made me go well, I don't really care then. Like, that's not that exciting. And then, sure, he gets promoted to lieutenant commander. So, like, that's one step up. You're you're having yeah. him work on one of your biggest, most important projects. He can at least get, like, captain or sergeant or, yeah. you know, like, even if it's just so it sounds cooler than lieutenant commander. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate, though, in keeping Please it secret do. from him. Um I'm not saying this is definitely the reason why, but one reason it could be is so that he didn't go into it with any biases and he wasn't specifically looking for something and by specifically looking for something either created it that wasn't there or missed something else really important. So there could be the argument that they kept it a secret just so that it was more efficient, more pure and anything he found really was noteworthy. But tell him that. Like, how hard is it to say, like, look, we this is a very important project we have you working on. Like, this is why Thrawn sent you. We can't tell you what it is, but we can tell you it's for the good of the Ascendancy. Like, it's not a super weapon. It's not to hurt others. It's purely just for us, like, to protect us, to make our way of life easier for everybody, to keep people safe, you know, whatever. But just, like, say something. That's fair. That's fair. I actually, so while we're on, I really like what they did with Second Sight. Uh, I did think it was really compelling. I thought it was just cool. And I don't want to say it's unique because we do see Kylo Ren with this. This is one of those cool things we saw in Force Awakens. And then, of course, we see ramped up in Last Jedi. And then we get to play it in the Battlefront game. And we get to see how he does like these mind melds and we always called it the mind probe, but with second sight, we know it goes a little bit deeper than that. And he's able to really feel what these people are feeling. Um, Do you think that this is something he did not teach himself? He did not learn from Luke, but when he turned away from Ben Solo to become Kylo Ren, and he joined the First Order, do you think that this is something he was able to learn either from the Chiss directly, or do you think it's maybe even something that Snoke learned from the Chiss and was able to pass on to Kylo Ren? But either way, do you think there's any connection between Second Sight and Kylo learning that ability, or do you think it's totally unrelated and they both came to it independently? I I would say it's possible, probably more likely through Snoke than through actually going and training with the Chiss. Because I don't see when Kylo Ren would have done that, which would have been after 
his turn. I don't see him going to the Chiss mm-hmm. and, de- you know, if he goes and demands something from them, they're going to just kill him, you know? Um, there is a, a sense of honor to the Chiss, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they are something compelling and that we want more of. So I don't see them, like, training him in how to do that or even giving him information on how their navigators do it. I could see it's something that Snoke does, not because he is able to get it from them, but because he either ransacks mm-hmm. them and, you know, takes their text and gets what uh, what Eli learned or something of that nature. Um, more of that crafty strategic kind of thing you need to take over an entire galaxy that i think kylo lacks um some of that nuance and then yeah he could teach it to to him but i mean it is it is really interesting to think about because it it does it's one of those things you kind of wonder like where does the force end you know like if this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, like, does that mean it's happening in our universe and we have the force? Yeah. And we just haven't figured out how to use it yet. You know, it's one of those things where you just start spiraling, right? Like, um, I would say I would be cool with it because it would make these stories mm-hmm. All right, that's and fair. important. But I don't find it very likely. So, I do. I will say though. I will say I would not mind getting more about the navigators. Um, I before I read this, I read Outbound Flight, um, and I really liked what they did with the Chiss there and kind of the. I don't know. I'm noticing. I like the books about like the political infighting. Um, that was one of my my favorite parts of this was the Tarkin Krennic Savitz stuff. Um, and then even, you know, when you get to the end and you get to the twist, it's like makes it even more interesting. And in Outbound Flight, there's a lot of that going on with the Ascendancy. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing more of that along with like the Navigators, you know, who for the most part, I mean, they're young children or, you know, people like Vanya who are very humble and grateful for the protection the Ascendancy has given them uh, and, and kind of that that pure goodness versus, you know, people who are trying mm-hmm. to do what's right, but also really want to No, that, that was definitely so my favorite part. And I would love thing. to Could get more really of it in absolutely any form. But I want to hear more about what you liked about the Krennic, Tarkin, and Savage stuff and kind of that big twist there and just why you liked it so much. Because it's not that I didn't like it. I just didn't love it. Hmm. A, Krennic is awesome. B, I like that his staff wears capes as well. That was really cool. Um, Tarkin, I I feel like Tarkin is one of those characters that they have just nailed down in the new canon. Like, there's there's some characters, and I've talked about this before, like Han Solo, I feel like are hard to get on to a page. (laughs) Um, Sorry, that was my phone telling us it's time to record we're recording early people um you know that are hard to get down on the page i feel like tarkin is almost too easy and 
so it's easy to take him for granted as just like, how I'm going to stand over here in the corner and, and twist my mustache. But they've really made him interesting by giving him the backstory and, and and things like that. So the more I'm seeing of him, the more I'm liking his character. And just the double talk and the innuendo and threats that are going back and forth. It was just really, I don't know. To me, it was fun to read, especially because you're spending a lot of time with a bland empire in this book. So to see it get mixed up, um, to see how Ronan felt like, oh, Krennic is being terrible for doing these politics, you know, playing political games. And Krennic is a pure soul who just wants to do it because it's right for the galaxy. But we know what we know from Catalyst and Rogue One. To me, it was just, it was entertaining. Um, and I like kind of that, that's never been a side of the prequels that bothered me. The the manipulation of the yeah. politics that's going on there, um, I find really interesting. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So um, you, I, I you will say I was surprised the, the by there? it. I didn't see it coming because I really enjoyed Savit really the whole way through, but just especially in the beginning because it was like, oh, man, this is – you know, this is a real good military guy. He is going to do what's right for his people. He understands the political game, but really he's just there and he's going to support everyone who is there to support him. And then it turns out, no, he's not. So I was real. I was pleasantly surprised just in, I guess, pleasantly surprised is in the right way. I was I was very pleased that I was surprised, I guess is how I'll say it. Yeah, I I did not see it coming. I remember once we got like the second or third time with Savit after the big meeting where they made the bet, which, by the way, also talking about the political things and stuff like that, I like that this whole book was based on a bet and that like the Emperor is just letting them bet about things because he's like it's tarkin and thrawn it's gonna turn out best for me so who cares win, win. like i get a million tie defenders or i get a death okay. star who cares you know which i want to come back to that tie defender death star thing so put that in the back of your head but to go back to savit um i was like why are we getting this guy like what's the point because we know thrawn's not going to make any mistakes so he's not going to have to come help thrawn because as much as they talk about thrawn not understanding politics politics don't seem to affect him at all so it didn't make sense why we kept getting him but then the more we got him you know he he was part of that political back and forth that i really liked about this book so i'm like ah, you know whatever um maybe he's gonna put the final nail in the coffin and they'll come back and thrawn will have predicted it or something like that but to to have him be the actual traitor was really like like you said it was it was not something that you expected but i have to say it just supports the argument that that thrawn is a mary sue because the this guy's a grand admiral and yeah he got there partially on his laurels but the emperor's yeah. not an idiot he has what 11 or 12 grand admirals it was said in this book he's not going to give it to some chump who's going to screw things up right um savit is able to deceive orson krennic who has been proven to be extremely intelligent in the canon material that we have from him and the emperor and grand moff tarkin but yet thrawn figures it out in like three days 
from music that he composed, which, by the way, we never knew. Well, no, because he even specifically says at one point in this book that music doesn't serve a purpose for him. Yeah. Right. So, but then all of a sudden he's able to do it. I did like the 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 fingers tapping on his arm being how he was composing. I really liked that um because it it I don't know, it's just something that felt very natural um that a character like that would do, but to I guess maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I need it laid out for me ABC, but it, it, there just wasn't a clear connection to me about all the th- moves that that Sabbat was making in that final. So I was actually thinking about that, and like I feel like in out from the, the first two Thrawn books, and of course in Legends, when Thrawn figures things out, it's almost like he's building a pyramid of all of the information, and you don't necessarily realize that the corners connect until you have all of these other pieces, and then you're able to go up a level. And so on and so on until you have the very top of the pyramid. In this story, though, I felt more like instead of building a pyramid, we were just kind of climbing a never ending ladder where it was like, and this puts you on the next rung. And now immediately you're on the next rung. And it just it it just built one thing off of the other instead of putting all of these pieces together. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, mm-hmm. it goes back to the what we talked about earlier about not really having any tension. Um because by this point like I think because we saw him kind of sort of get beaten in Rebels, not exactly, but things didn't go 100% to plan for him. We the first and, and the first two books were able to be like maybe things aren't going to turn out well for maybe he's gonna make a mistake but by this point with you know what we have in legends and what we have now in canon you kind of get the idea like thrawn's not gonna make a mistake in a book like if timothy's on is writing him thrawn's not gonna make a mistake so anything that was supposed to be like you know they they also try and do the the jaws effect right and it worked out really well in the first book with night swan and it worked out Mm-hmm. okay in alliances with what we now know as the grisk in this one though it was just too much you can't do it three times in a row and what i mean by the jaws effect is in jaws the villain is the shark but you don't see the shark for most of the film this is something just underwater that you know is there but you don't know exactly what it is you don't know what it looks like and it's it's terrifying and it's antagonistic without even having right. to be on screen. And it worked out really well with Night Swan. And it worked out, again, it worked out okay in Alliances. But now we spend the entire third book not really seeing the enemy because we don't realize yet that the enemy is Savit. And we don't get the Grisk enough until the very end. And it just, it, there was, I can't say it enough. There really was no tension in this book for me because half the time it was like, who is Thrawn fighting? Is he actually fighting anyone? And the other half of the time it was, of course he's going to be okay. 
Yeah, and I mean, the idea of the Grisk, I really like. Um, and it was funny because I, I was trying to look up an image of them because I couldn't remember what they looked like from alliances. And literally the only thing I could find were articles of people saying that the Grisk were the new canon replacement for the Yuzon Vong, which is kind of interesting to think with the fact that we've gotten so many other um, allusions to what's going on out beyond the the known galaxy but yeah i mean it's really it comes down to there's a there's a lot of stuff in this book that could be really interesting you know um what what forces are not under the control of the empire and what happens with them this conquering um warlike society uh that has technology that the the empire doesn't have all these things could be super interesting um and and i wouldn't mind seeing you know their gris come back in like a non-thrawn thing and maybe that's something that luke and ben have to fight off in an animated series or a, a series of novels but you just yeah you just kind of know like all right well thrawn's it's not the normal like star wars yeah of course the good guys are gonna win right like the good guys always win in Star Wars, but That's, this is like with, with most Star Wars, it's of course the good guys are going to win. But let's watch them get beat up a couple of times problem. in the process of winning. Yeah, we don't get that here. It's just yeah, the good. Guys. That's it. There's no. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no character development for our main character, and. I think I realized that more than anything, possibly because I've been watching Return of the Jedi a lot in, in preparation for the show that we just released on Monday. And maybe that had me more of like, you know, because the, the heroes there, like things are a little more chipper than Empire, but they're getting they're getting in trouble a lot. Luke almost falls to the dark side or is almost on the dark side for the majority of the film, you know, and you get this great rise and just see Thrawn and he just like from the very first scene in the first Thrawn book it's it's been like that and it's just I mean I hate to just beat a dead horse or dead drum or whatever the the uh, analogy is but that it's a major major problem and honestly I finished this book and mm -hmm. I really said I hope this is just uh. a trilogy and not a series of books because no, this should be unless they're going to do something after absolutely I drastic. Um, I, I believe Timothy Zahn actually recently said that while they are planning to eventually tell what is going on with Ezra and Thrawn now that they are force only knows where he just said that they didn't know if it would be told through him or if Dave Filoni wanted to pick it up. So if it is a series, I would be okay with it if it meant getting that story about Thrawn and Ezra. Otherwise, just just let it die here. Yeah. Yeah? I would be okay with it if Timothy Zahn is not the one writing it. I mean, I just... And this is, again... Guys, we're talking we about all this stuff. We love when people change our minds about it. We absolutely love this book. Like, please change our minds. And I'm not saying that in the... Yeah. Yes. I'm, like, not saying that in the ironic meme kind of way. Like, please, like, tweet at us. Send us an email. We'll read it on the show and try to 
help us see what it is and about keep so many people excited so many because people excited. i always like thrawn but i get why other people like him initially right. it's just it's at this point the same thing over and over and over and that's that's one of the things i've said as i'm i'm reading mm-hmm. through the eu is that a lot of the books just feel the same it's very like just Playing like here's the problem. We're gonna get to a battle at the end. Good guys are gonna win. There's still gonna be a secret bad guy out there. And Timothy Zahn writes very much in the expanded universe way. And for those who love the expanded universe, I think that that's great. I think that I think that it's a particular writing style. He has a writing style that is a lot more tactical, war based, battle type stuff. That connects with a lot of people who come to Star Wars for that. Yeah. Whereas I come to Star I come Wars for really, the Force mythology. Yes. For the yeah. When when I come like, to Legends I love material, the Battle of Scarif, Um, but. I would actually say one of my favorite books is Kenobi, and that's because John Jackson Miller, in my opinion, takes such a different style in how he writes for Legends because he really and truly is character focused. And he has such a gift, and luckily he's even brought it into canon, uh, where he's able to come up with all these different storylines, develop all these different characters at its at the same time, and then let them intersect. I feel much more excited with that type of story than just, here's the one character, and let's just drive through the plot line as fast as we can. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's kind of, I imagine, c- quite hard mm. because he is, Timothy Zahn, um, is old hat, you know? Um, and, and I'm sure they promised him like at least three books or whatever, but I don't know. But I, look, we, we got to give Timothy Zahn I credit. Like the new He's the reason we're, we're here. This is, if, you know, yeah. Quote, yeah. If, if he is the, the founding father of no, Star Wars Expanded Universe. Legends and canon, and he's the reason why people dive into these books and dive into these stories off of the the big screen. It's just making, you know, he's the founding father, but he's not, in my opinion, the absolute greatest. And this book by no means is the greatest Star Wars book, the greatest Thrawn book, or the greatest Timothy Zahn book. It, here's here's you know you said founding fathers and here's kind of how I think about it like if we still had let's say like Thomas Jefferson today you know and he walked into my classroom like I'd let him talk to my kids and say what things were like but I'm not going to let him teach my class because he's not up to date on wow, what's going on wow that's a great here. analogy and he has bad that's really good from the era that he grew up in and I think right like I think I think there's a lot that people can learn from Timothy Zahn. Not, not just because he's a Star Wars author, but again, like no. I read. No, smart guy, nice guy, real nice guy. He's not a chump. Um, and and I think, yeah, yeah, 90, like he's been yeah, in Star 92, Wars for what? Yeah. Heir to the Empire came out in ninety, so almost thirty years. Yeah, something like that. So so almost thirty years, almost three decades of being a part of the Star Wars community and no and never, i actually have uh, met him quite a few times and fan, you know such a down-to-earth humble you know, guy whatever 
real easy to talk to. It again, just just for me, this isn't my. Uh, I think I'm just, I'm thinking. You're, Can you hear me? You're gone again. Yeah. It, it's not my story. Yeah. It's Start with, not, it's not for mine. me. I'm going to take a very different approach to how I enjoy Star Wars. And I, I really, I can't stress this enough. If someone can write in and change our minds about this book, I would love that. It's just not my kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I, I de- again, not a knock on Timothy Zahn. His his style is just not my style. There's, I know this is sacrilege to say, but like heir to the empire to me is, I mean, it's good. I understand the the historical importance mm-hmm. of it, uh, but I mean, to me, the stories are average. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, and I, I honestly, think that's a pretty widely accepted opinion. I, in my opinion, at this point, would have to agree. I would say, yeah, but at this point, after these three stories, I don't want to say he's resting yeah. on his laurels, but he he's definitely gotten into a certain pattern of things that. Like of I can be upset and say I'm not going to read it if there's another Thrawn book coming out. But let's be honest, we all know I'm going to read the book, and I would really love for him to do something that would shift me in the direction of, hmm, I need to go back and revisit these other books. But most of the time, when a new book comes out in a trilogy, I or a series or whatever, I reread all the books before. Uh, this time, I had Thrawn alliances in my hand at the store like six times and put it back down. And I can tell you how many you right people now, do you think we pissed off in the past hour to get me to want to go back and revisit <laughs> that at all. So <laughs> they were in the first 10 minutes and they're I like, think nah, anybody else is no one knocks on Timothy's on. Uh, oh man. Oh man. Sith talk is going to be mad at us. No, like, again, this is what Clashing Sabers is about, and it just happens that Lindsay and I agree on the majority of things here, but, like, please, we want dissenting opinions, and we want to... I I always want to look at at Star Wars with a positive outlook, and it's not super fun to do a podcast where you're going, like, I didn't like it for an hour. Yeah. So if you've got something, please send it in to us, ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You can uh, DM me on Twitter at ClashingSabers. You can send uh, a text, which I have uh, some, somewhere written down. Oh, there it is. Uh, 832-966-0077. Like, seriously, please send us a, a voice message. We'll put it on the show. Like, whatever you want to do, because I would really, really shoot i'm gonna say it right now if we get enough i'll do a whole nother episode yeah on and hey we are where open-minded sam changed our minds on alphabet squadron because there's stuff that we do like about this you know you liked ronin i really liked the navigators um there there's stuff we like and we're open-minded and please change our minds 
Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter yes. at the Lady um, of Lore. Lindsay, if they you want can to also join mind, our Facebook that? group, Clashing Sabers Network, on obviously Facebook, and we can discuss everything a little bit more there, either Thrawn Treason or otherwise. Um, and we can get into some some good, fun, classy arguments. There's a lot going on there. People share their thoughts, everything they're working on. It's it's a lot of fun in a really positive environment. So you can always find me lurking around there. All right. So before we close out, we have to give it our ranking. And we usually do <laughs> Lothcats. And I say usually do Lothcats, although we, I usually change it every single time. Um, but Thrawn's Ooh. not on Lothal quite yet. So I think we need to go with Stardusts. So, which, by the way... There was well, a fun know, little bit about that, though. Why didn't they just call it the Death Star? It's not that secretive kind of thing. But anyways. Uh, I'll give it... Yeah. You How know, I really want to give it to... Because I don't think I've ever given anything a one before, but this might have to be a one. I'm going to give it a two. Okay. I'm going to give it a two because I liked the majority of things that happened except for Thrawn. Um, And I think about Mm -hmm. it and it's like... uh, what is that book? Heir to the yeah. Jedi. That's like the most forgettable like the book. <laughs> things that happen in there, except for the things that happened with Luke. Jeez, it's man. Like, you know, I've read it three times. Yeah, he's in this. So if y'all think I'm not going to read another Thrawn book if it comes out, I've read Heir to the Jedi three times. All right, I'm committed. So, um, yeah, two. Hopefully, we get. I I don't mind getting more Thrawn stuff because I do want to know. What happened with Thrawn and Ezra? Uh, I would really like some more stuff of the Ascendancy, the Navigators, the Grisk. Um, I think, again, could be a really great threat to have come in because they clearly can go and ransack some people. Uh, and I, I think if you if you do that and you go in that direction, A, if you just have it in novels, then the people who read are like, well, you know, Thrawn's kind of like the elite of the elite. So just because they lost a Thrawn, it doesn't mean they're not formidable. And if you have it in, say, a, a film or an animated show, most of the people who watch that aren't going to have read the book. And so you can just kind of start from scratch. So there's a lot that this book has to offer. It's just not what I want to eat. Got to commit. That's a weird analogy. <laughs> but I'm going with it. All right. I'm in it. <laughs> all right guys well we are going to wrap it up there get in touch with us let us know what you think and we will be back uh next time with i guess the next book that comes out is crash of fate and we may have some cool things going on around that particular piece of literature Uh we're such professionals Uh, that's that's called a tease they do that in radio Oh, my God, I'm good at this. Anyways, uh, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. 
So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. Thank you.